welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. One of my favorite debut features in a while is El Panetta, directed by and starring Amalia Ullman. She plays a designer who lives with her mother, played by Ullman's mother, but they're both going broke. So they're making ends meet any way they can, which for her mother might include a little light scamming. It's a movie with many layers, both funny and poignant, about keeping up appearances and about the complicated bond between mother and daughter. In many ways, it builds on Ullman's extensive art practice, which plays with class, identity, and how we have to present and represent ourselves to the world. Ullman was born in Argentina and raised in Gijón, Spain, where the movie is set, and she's based in New York. I already had the pleasure of interviewing Ullman at length for Screen Slate, and so this time I was able to ask some new questions and spend more time than usual talking about the wonderful movies that she's watched recently. But first, our Zoom conversation was interrupted by a surprise guest, who was later joined by another surprise guest. Oh, I see a cat in the screen. Yeah. What's his or her she's name? Je- she's Jimmy. She's okay. a, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Olga, who's in the film, she's very senior and she's sleeping back there. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's a relaxing star in, in the back. And here's, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was just curious, you know, now that you've been sort of showing the movie, like at uh, Rooftop, what, what have you noticed about different or noticed new, you know, are you noticing different reactions? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting to see different reactions in different places, wherever the film has been going to. Um, like, people love the film in the U.S., for example, uh, which I'm very happy about because it's a film in you know, different language with subtitles and stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really great. And then it worked really well in Russia and Eastern Europe. Like people really, really love the film. And I think it's because there's a lot of people, you know, that care a lot about appearances and like, you know, it's like post-Soviet Union, like, you know, like luxury items, blah, blah. So like, I feel like a lot of people have parents that are kind of like that or like, or people my generation that went to study in London or something. And they were like the first of their family to go to college or something like that. So yeah, it's interesting to see how different cultures react different ways or laugh at different points of the film mm-hmm. or consider certain things more or less taboo, you know, like, for example, mm-hmm. in Spain, I don't know, the morning after pill or anything related to feminism is pretty, like, advanced, uh, I don't know, in the sense that, like, it's a normal thing, like, you don't really think much about it. And uh, my mother went to... New Horizons in Poland, which is an independent film festival, but mm-hmm. as a country, Poland is like way more conservative. And she was a bit shocked about like the Q and A questions. Some people were asking things that like she would have never thought about, you know. And like mm-hmm. uh, so, it's interesting to see like how different places have different approaches to certain things. Yeah, were people generally seeing it as just mostly a comedy, or were they? Because I could see that some audiences would would maybe not see and that's part of what i like of the movie is that it has these layers to it but there's also you know you could just sort of watch it maybe as just this kind of adventure in a way i think it all depends on on your background you know and if Mm -hmm. you know if you understand whether we're going through or not i feel like a lot of uh, unless they have a lot of empathy and like they're you know cool and understanding (laughs) like a lot of people that have are from like a more privileged backgrounds don't understand like uh, they're like oh why are they getting like a job 
and being happy with a little job. And it's like, well, have you ever tried to look for a job? <laughs> or, you know, like, um, or yeah, or have you ever been to a homeless shelter? Um, or how yeah. devastating that is to like have to go, you know? And also people that have never struggled, uh, they don't understand like how it takes a long time from mm -hmm. like the moment where like you sort of either become homeless or like you're facing that to like the point where you're in the street or like you're like wearing rags, you know, like, you right. know, like doesn't happen instantly. You're still wearing your clothes and you're like, you're still like having some access to like a computer or something, you know, like, right. so I feel like some people are maybe confused about that if they have no, but so, I mean, that's the whole point of the film is to show that process that it's not like a thing that just happens overnight, but it's something that slowly, gradually happens. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask also about uh, directing yourself, what that's like, uh, because obviously in your, uh, you know, art practices that you've done a lot of self staging and self presentation. How is it different when you're doing that in, in, in a movie? Um, I, I, for me, it's always like, a, it's kind of comical in my head because I imagine like being on set. There's a lot of running back and forth to look at a yeah. screen. <laughs> um so yeah i mean that's kind of like how i work anyway so i'm like pretty mm -hmm. used to like running to the screens checking it out yeah. um it's definitely much much better to just direct and look at the actors i mean like a thousand times <laughs> um but um i was very lucky to have the help of um my assistant director carmen Roquewal, who is some, someone i really really trust she's extremely intelligent and like she i mean she also helped with uh production but she's like hands-on on everything and super creative solutions to everything and i trust her so like many times if she was she said like that's a good one i'll be like okay that's a good one you know and it was like a very very good thing to have someone to trust with like such a important task you know yeah yeah mm -hmm. um and um, in terms of crafting the image the long process of that did you have like a look book in a way of like the kind of particular quality or texture of, of the image you wanted well, yeah, I mean, it was a very conscious decision from the beginning to do black and white. And it was a very important conversation with Carlos Rigo, uh, who's the cinematographer, and he's brilliant. And he really did an amazing job with the black magic pocket and with really mm -hmm. good lenses. I mean, he was like an amazing photographer. Like, he really did magic with that. And we did have a lookbook of like, not a very extensive lookbook, but more like, I really love the black and white in... Um, Sunset Boulevard, for example, mm -hmm. which is like a very rich, contemporary, like beautiful black and white. And then something like La Dolce Vita, which is also like a very, like very, very beautiful black and white. And that was like my only two references. It's like, we're, it's going to be black and white, but it's going to be really beautiful to the point where like you're not missing any details or like you're not asking like, why is this in black and white, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but instead, like it makes sense and you're like, of course, it's in black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, I realized I didn't really ask you about screenwriting, writing the screenplay for this, because I've sort of been in preparing, reading a lot of your writing um, across different formats and, uh, you know, essays. And so how long did it take you to write this screenplay? And like, what, what does it look like? Do you know, do you have like general descriptions of scenes or you do very detailed dialogues, you describe shots, that sort of thing? Well, in this case, we had probably to like a year i started like 2018 sort of and we shot like late 2019 and until until the very last moment i was like tweaking the script a little bit you know 
I was my own producer. I could do that. You give yourself the okay. Yeah, I was just responding to my own. You know, it's like, and then we had yeah, the other script, so like the Carmen and everyone like follow like all the scenes and everything. So it was more like for me writing the script. I'm a very visual person, so what happens is that I see the film in my head visually. Mm-hmm. From beginning to end, and I know, like, I knew it was gonna start with that scene of her with the box. Like, it, it, I had like all of that thing in my mind, and for me, the script is more like a means to an end to get that done. So, I feel like in an ideal world, when I have all the resources <laughs> and like people trust me fully, um, I would work like Hong San So, in mm-hmm. the sense that like I I know what I want and I know the scenes and I know the story, but I also like the magic of the certain things that happen or like you know, um, and I like that. I like leaving some uh, in my practice too. Like I always like leaving some room to that. I plan. 80% of everything mm-hmm. and then magic happens and I, it's beautiful I like that um, I did that in all the performances I did that in a video that I shot that same year in China mm-hmm. that was mostly scripted but then I missed my stop in the train which changed uh-huh. the whole thing and then like I had these two women uh-huh. following me and helping me and they became part of the story and like uh-huh. it's like things like that that happen that you're like thank yeah. god that like there's like this room for this to happen and in the movie like i don't know for example jenjo even though he's very handsome and dresses well whatever he knows nothing about fashion it's like probably the only chinese person that doesn't know anything about fashion <laughs> and he had a really hard time remembering the name of valenciaga and Dover street market and i was like gosh how can you be so <laughs> and and that's in the movie because in some point he's like oh i remember Valenciano. Right. And, and, right. and i was like oh god but then made it into the film because he was so funny how mm-hmm. he delivered that line and so yeah i like leaving that little room and i feel like now i'm, I'm working on my second film and i'm really nailing down the dialogues and everything but mm-hmm. I feel it's more for the producers and investors and blah, blah, blah. Then for me, ideally, I want the actors to know who their characters are. And mm-hmm. based on that play. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. El- element of chance and uh, happenstance. Um, Again, because I'm very visual. Maybe mm-hmm. if I was more literary, yeah, I would be like, the script is very important, that each right. word, blah, blah, blah. But, for me, it's because I see it in such a useful way that that's what matters to me. Yeah. Emotion and, and, and image, yeah. Yeah, that sort of brings me to another question, you know, that, you know, part of the process is having to do the awful soul-killing thing of summarize your work all the time and, and like, you know, <laughs> and, and the pitch and all of that. Since you've, you know, you've done a lot of work on class and, and just the kind of gatekeeping or different worlds um, that you have to navigate, what was your experience in that, you know, so far with, for lack of a better word, the independent film world, or <laughs> I don't know, festival world, or all of that. What, what sort of observations you come away with? Um, no, I mean, it's definitely a very, uh, how, how do you say, like very incestuous world where like everyone knows one another, right. blah, blah. But, but I mean, so is the art world, right. to be honest, you know? So, but I, I feel like independent film world, I, I was only able to do this film thanks to my Chinese friend filmmakers who were making films absolutely on their own and encouraged me to make a film 
without any doubts. Mm -hmm. They were like, go ahead. Of course you can make a film. Like just grab a camera and like, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah. That's how I think about my art practice. Mm -hmm. You know, like you just do it. But the problem is that I find that, uh, and this is a problem for me because I'm not specifically for any place. I'm an immigrant. I grab different places, blah, blah, blah. My identity is like a blur of things. And I feel like European filmmaking especially is very based on nationalistic propaganda and receiving money from the government and blah, blah, blah. So it's like independent, but like still very reliant on politics. And, and I think that's like what really turned me off originally. But thank God I had friends that pushed me to just make whatever I wanted to make. But, um, and I think that's a probably problem that I find is how at the end of the day, you have to please <laughs> some politician <Yeah. laughs> about, you know, how you show the city or how you, whatever. Um, so in that sense, I feel like I relate more to any sort of truly independent Mm -hmm. fundraising or you know filmmaking like either is Casaveres or even mm -hmm. Hal Hartley how he was self-funding like his last movies on his own yeah. um I, I connect to that yeah to just do it without any sort of yeah yeah I'm curious I mean uh, which uh, Chinese filmmakers um are you talking about yeah I mean there's many I mean Chenjo who's Amadeus in the film he's a filmmaker and then he he also acted in another independent film called that was also a new director's film last year The Cloud in Her Room I don't oh, remember her name uh -huh. now but uh -huh. so he was in that film and that's another independent Chinese film yeah. I really love Yang, Yang Ming Ming I think she's like the, one of the most brilliant filmmakers in China right now and okay. uh, she has a very particular voice I, when I was jury now in Venice, I saw a first film from Macau mm -hmm. that also had that, that vibe because it felt like very like free and like just like uh, with a lot of mistakes and errors, but like free and fresh <laughs> from mm -hmm. the burdens of, um, but like definitely, yeah, yeah Yang Ming Ming for me is like one of the mm -hmm. most brilliant filmmakers and her first film, it's shot pretty much on a handicam and it's the funniest, mm -hmm. most exciting film ever. And it's 60 minutes only. And, but you know, she did it on her own and that allowed her to make her second film. And mm -hmm. I think there's like a lot of examples like that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Venice, I'm curious, uh, you know, you were on the jury there for debut features. I feel really bad because I actually wasn't able to see the movie uh, that got the award. I wonder if you could just talk a bit about it. Tell me what, what your thoughts on it. Because it, it's called Immaculate. In my, in my club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we were only three jury members, and I, uh, I loved the film so much. I was so happy that they agreed with me because I felt that it was just gonna be my subject. You know, I loved it. I was like, I loved it, but who knows if they'll like? You know, it's like, right. oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, but then they they loved it too, so it was like a very happy moment. We're like, oh my god, <laughs> yes. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very exciting because. Yeah, there were some good films across the board, but generally also a lot of repetition mm -hmm. and a lot of, um, yeah, a, a lot of repetition. I feel like I, in general, like I watch the same movie all mm. over, you know, except, mm -hmm. except for the films that caught our attention that felt like a thing on their own. Like everything else felt like a continuum of like European independent filmmaking, you yes. know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like this thing. And then you had like someone with a voice that were like, oh, this is like interesting and I'm excited to look at it. Sadly, Immaculate was the last film we saw. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's like, you know, that feeling of like, gosh, like 
you know, there's like some good films here, but like I was not crazy about, you know, maybe only one I was like, oh, yeah, it's good. And then watching her film, I was, it's fascinating. It's like a really great film, especially how it works with the emotions of the viewer because you never know where you're standing. Mm. You think you know what's going on. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, what? It's just like, it's very well done in that sense. Or mm. like, he knows what he's doing. Very limited resources, but like, you know, the little resources that she had, like they're put to work 100%. You know, it's like, and I love the film. It's just like a very, very fascinating and really great director-actor connection, which I didn't see in other films. Mm. Uh, I feel like most films were very technical, very well done or whatever, but like the, the relationship between the director and the actor was more technical and more like focused maybe on the photography or, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe for me, I also felt like this movie spoke to me because there was that connection between the director and the actor that I, right. I really like. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess I'm sort of shifting into the, the, the part of the part of the podcast where I asked, you know, the last things you saw. So, uh, um, did you see anything else, um, at, you know, uh, there in, in, in Venice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there was this other film called Erasing Mark. That was also good. It was like, it was very interesting how in this case, it was definitely more technical and this director works with commercial work a lot. So you could mm. see that it was very polished and very like, his use of sound was particularly really great. I mean, the actors were amazing and everything was very great. A very beautiful black and white. It just felt like a dream. You know, when a movie really like traps you and it's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And like, you, it was very interesting because you very, it was very abstract, but you always knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Even though it was not that clear, but like, it trapped you in that sense and you knew exactly what was going on. They actually did a great job. And then, and then the use of sound was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I saw a bunch of shitty films that I shouldn't yeah. say anything <laughs> that really upset me because I get oh. very emotional about bad films. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, not, not even bad, but like mediocre, you know, like I like seeing angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have that feeling too. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was a funny experience because like, I had never been a jury. And as an artist, I always watch things that interest me or inspire me. And I rewatch a lot of stuff that I already like, mm. you know, like I rewatch it. And it was funny to be forced to watch so many films. And most of it felt like eating, like, uh, you know, steamed vegetables. Because it's like, <laughs> always, like in, you know, very. Yeah. And then, so I was really craving American cinema. I was like, I have to watch. Like, so I remember we went to see Halloween Kills. Oh, yeah. I saw which that. is not great. It's like, <laughs> you know, but in that context, you felt like, yeah. Uh, yeah. like, it was like eating a McFlurry. You know, it's like, <laughs> it sucks. It's disgusting. But you needed it. Yeah. And that's how we felt. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> a very simple narrative and like you know special effects and fights and blood and like whatever and so that's how I was by the end of the experience it's like please give me give me trash <laughs> and anything uh since since then that you've liked I always have like to ask people what their plane watching is uh because I find I watch the weirdest things on planes that I would never watch otherwise uh just during the flight uh, I was bad. I I can only watch Larry David's Curve Your Incessant on the plane. 
but that was mostly because I slept through most of it because I was so yeah. tired from the festival and everything. I just right. slept. Well, I mean, this was a while ago, but it was like one of those experiences that I, I'll never forget because I really liked it. I watched um, First Reformed on a plane. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I love that film, but I, I just also remember like, being on a plane and watching it and falling in love with it. And then this very, very strange African film, Crumbs. Yeah, C-R-U-M-B-S. And it's a very, very strange film. It's, it's a very good film. And I remember like I randomly picked it on an airplane. It's one of those things that you discover like your new favorite film in a way. And you're like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, but what else? I guess oh, you... I guess I saw Maggie Hall's film because it was in the first. Also, oh, yeah. like it was a beautiful film. Um, it was surprisingly good. Uh, obviously, I mean, and this is, I guess, makes sense. Like directing the actress, she was amazing. I think mm, yeah. um, that was, you can see that an actor is directing. <laughs> it was very good. Um, what's the name of the actress? I forgot. Uh, oh, the uh, one in Shades of Grey. Um, oh, uh, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, Dakota Johnson. She was actually really, really good because it took me a while to realize it was her. And I feel like it was very brilliantly, her character was very brilliantly done because usually... Mm -hmm when they want to do white trash in films or whatever, it, you know, it's like a caricature right. and it's like very over the top or whatever. But her character was so nicely, mm -hmm. nicely done. And it took me a second to realize it was her, because uh, it's very transformative, but not even in like makeup or anything, but just like in like her spirit. Mm -hmm. And that was very nice to see. Yeah. Um, I, I also like the, the interplay between her and Olivia Coleman. They have those scenes where they're just, it's like Dakota Johnson's like, knows she recognizes something in Coleman's character, but can't quite mm -hmm. get, get there. Yeah, it's, a, it's very interesting, like the, yeah, what they, the rapport they have with one another, because mm -hmm. you never know what's really going on. It's very, yeah. it's confusing. Yeah, what else? I mean, before heading to the festival, I was watching way more films. I loved Annette. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I love Annette. It was so wild, so crazy. It's good. I also love The Woman Who Run by Hong San So, which apparently is the first film he does after being sober, uh, which made me happy it was good and not like he lost his mojo or something. Right. <laughs> and, um, I was going to say good cat scene as well. I was going to say, yeah, the cat scene was so good. Gosh, the cat face at the end of it. It's just so amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that cat scene. Wow. I was like, that's gold. <laughs> the cat staying there and then the zoom into the cat. Oh, here's Olga. Oh, hello, Olga. Hi, Olga. <laughs> She's got places to be. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, what are, you, what are you up to next? Are you going to be uh, writing uh, your, your next feature? That's already written. You're going to be sort of just prepping for that? or? Uh, yeah, it's been written. I'm just like... Uh, editing and like doing new drafts and whatever. Uh, the idea is to shoot autumn 2022. So I have to start casting and stuff. I mean, a lot of the casting is already done. Uh, Joe Apolloni is going to be in it, who came with me to Venice uh, and became famous in Italy, uh, <laughs> even though he didn't go with the film. They love him. That's good. And the paparazzi's were crazy for him, <laughs> screaming his name. 
so yeah, that, and then I'm working on a TV show. So I'm like writing the scripts of these two things and um, it's a limited series. So in a way it's like a long movie. Oh, cool. <laughs> what, what's the show about? So the TV show is about a female, it's like set in the nineties in Spain. Okay. And it's about a female bullfighter in this impossible love story with a girl in a twee band. Um, so that's, that's the show. That's wonderful. Uh, it has darker undertones than that because like something really terrible happens. But, <laughs> but that's pretty much the, the story. And then, and yeah, then the other, the feature film, it's, uh, it's going to be similar to Oponeta in, in the tone and the humor, but it's going to be set in South America going to be shot in color and the music will be more like cumbia music okay. uh, the, the tone of it and it's pretty much like a love erotic story um, during the worst, the worst possible health conditions and it tackles Monsanto and like uh, the oh, wow. transgenic soya plantations and so it's like a sort of like a rom-com or like Japanese pink cinema. I feel like that's like also a very big inspiration. And like the sex okay. will be very like, uh, I wouldn't say explicit, but like there. Um, but against the backdrop of the world. Against the background of the world ending. Yeah. And that's another <laughs> film that I would like to recommend that I really like. Uh, it's from that tradition, but it's a newer film. It's called uh, Woman in the Wind. It's a Japanese film where like the main character is so horny, like, cr like crazy. And it's really good. Oh wow! I have not seen that. Okay, I'll, I'll watch that. So now it's wild. She's just really? horny as hell, and she just harasses all the all these men. In the it's just it's really good. Yeah. Great. Well, I have a really great viewing list now, thanks to you. So um, yeah. I'll go off and watch these. Um, but uh, Amalia, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak. Uh, and yeah, congrats on the release, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening. <laughs>